We've had three messages um, dealing with this whole subject of healing for a troubled mind. And the first three have dealt with um, hurtful conditions that um, typically we all struggle with to some degree as a result of being born into a world that's not the way our Creator originally made it. Uh, it's a world with all kinds of dangerous things. It's a world where we, we uh, experience sin in ourselves and around us from an early day, and it tends to bring hurt and damage. We're kind of turning the corner now, and we want to look at, well, well, what is a healthy mind? And I remember when I was starting this thing, I thought it's a bit presumptuous for me to be up here uh, talking about a healthy mind. So you're probably thinking that too, but just bear with me. It'll, it'll be okay. But um, we want to look at what does a healthy mind look like in our present world where there is so much danger, where there, where there is so much irregularity, abnormality. Uh, we tend to just think that the world we live in, it just, it's normal, it's the way things are, but it's not normal at all. It's nothing like the way the Creator originally designed it to be, nor is it the way that it will be for eternity. This is a very short blip on the screen of eternity, this season that we live in now with all of its irregularity and abnormalcy. Well, I want to start out by reading a quote to you. Uh, I've recommended two books through this series. I rarely do that. I highly recommend these two books. Uh, it will strengthen your faith, but more importantly, it'll give you a great understanding of the way God works to transform our lives by transforming these minds that he's given us. But it's by a guy named Timothy Jennings, and the quote, uh, I believe, will appear on the screen, but I'm just going to start by reading it to you. Timothy Jennings, and he is a Christian psychiatrist author of those two books, he says, what you believe about God actually changes your brain. When we understand God is good and loving, we flourish. Unfortunately, many of us have distorted images of God and mostly think of him in fearful, punitive ways. This leads us into unhealthy patterns of self-defeating behaviors and toxic relationships. But our lives can change when God renews our minds with a truer picture of Him, our brains and our bodies thrive when we have a healthy understanding of who God is. Our brains, get this part, our brains can adapt, change, and rewire with redeemed thinking that free, frees us from unnecessary, unnecessary pain and suffering. And then we have this verse from the New Testament book of Romans. Chapter 12, verse 2, it urges those that have become followers of Christ, do not be conformed to this present world. Don't follow the majority. Don't follow the crowd. But be transformed, and that's a big word there, metamorphosed. It's, it's like that caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Be transformed. How? What does it say? By the renewing of your mind. It all starts in the mind. It's just like Timothy Jennings said, our minds can be literally rewired. What scientists now know is that when you and I take these minds of ours and focus thought on new information and then take that new information and put it into practice, it changes the physical structure of our brains. New neural pathways become built and we are literally physically transform. We become new creatures. We do not have to stay the same. If the thought has ever come to any of us in this room that, that I could never change, this is just me, 
that's, that's a lie that has somehow crept into you. And the good news is, you can change. I can change. God has constructed us in a way we can always change. It is not too late. It's never too late if we're willing. Now, having said that, uh, does it mean that it will be easy? I wish I could say that. Sometimes it's not. But it is still possible. Well, one of the fundamental truths of a healthy mind is that a healthy mind has the capacity to have peace in this present difficult world that we live in. And peace is an interesting word in Scripture. It's that that Hebrew word shalom. It it means more than just calmness. It means that, that there's harmony. There's a sense of uh, things are as they should be, but it does mean calmness as well. And a healthy mind in this difficult world that we live in it is still a mind at peace. Now, contrast that with some of the trends that we see in society. There's uh, an article that I'd like to share with you. It's um, by a guy named Robert Leahy. He wrote a book called Anxiety Free. And in the book, he says that on any given year, 18% of Americans suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder. Anxiety, that's worry, that's stress, that's fear. He says, now, if you take the numbers of Americans that will at any time in their life struggle with an anxiety disorder, it goes from 18% to 30%. 30% or one out of three of us will struggle with anxiety at some time in our life. And every year... You know, about one in five of us will be struggling with anxiety, according to Robert Leahy in his book, Anxiety Free. Then he says something that's stunning to me. He says, our levels of anxiety have also increased dramatically over the last 50 years. According to psychologist Robert Leahy, he says, the average American child today, this stunned me, the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. That's frightening. Something's wrong. That's a problem. The average American child today, he says, exhibits the level of anxiety that a psychiatric patient, somebody that was in a psychiatric ward in the 1950s. That's a scary trend that we see developing today. Now, because of that, it leads to something else. There's a reporter uh, named Lisa Miller, and she writes an article that's interesting. It's called Listening to Xanax. Uh, please nobody take offense at this article. She says, um, how Americans learn to stop worrying about worry and pop pills instead. Uh, Miller acknowledges that depression can be a serious medical problem that requires medication, but her article focuses on the use of drugs to deal with low-grade anxiety about ordinary life for what she calls, or what she calls functional anxiety. If the 90s were the decade of Prozac, she says, then the 2010s have become the era of Xanax. And then Miller quotes, of all people, the comedian Jon Stewart, John Stewart has praised Xanax. He calls it that smooth, calm, pristine, mellow, sleepy feeling of Xanax. Miller goes on to say, Coke binges are for fizzier eras. Now people overdo trying to calm down. In these anxious times, Xanax offers a lot. It dissolves your worries, whatever they are. 
It's like a special kiss from mommy. Lisa Miller goes on to say that in her social circles, Xanax and Xanax-type drugs are traded generously with goodwill. So here's this new trend that we see, this increase of anxiety uh, in America. We, We can't even speculate about what that's about today. And one way to fix it is to take uh, Xanax or something like it. And I would be so curious. I won't do this, but I would be so, you, you cannot imagine how curious I am to say, could you just put your hand up if you, but I won't do that. What would be the point? And frankly, uh, for some of you that perhaps are, you know, I get it. It's a painful, miserable way to live, to feel tense and anxious and stressed and worried and to feel like you can't control it. And if this helps you, that's good in my sight, but I want to offer something that comes from the creator, the designer of our inner world today that could work in with that so that you could maybe at some point let that go and have an ongoing uh, pattern of health in what we're calling today a healthy mind. So to get us into uh, some text about this, I'd like to take you to the New Testament book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul had founded a church in Philippi. Later on, he writes a letter back to the followers of Christ living there. And the letter is particularly interesting. (coughs) That'll be page... uh, 1,326, man, I'm getting one of, you ever get those little dry spots on your throat? Make you want to cough and such. It'll be chapter 4, and we'll look at verse uh, 6 through 9. But let me just give you a little bit of background just before we go there. Uh, You need to know something about the guy that's writing this. Before we read his words, um, The guy that's writing this, the Apostle Paul, was first of all the first man to try to stamp out Christianity. He did not believe Jesus was the Messiah and he was persistent in trying to arrest all the followers of Christ, persecute them, even participated in the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Then he was confronted by the resurrected Christ. He became the greatest servant of Christ at that point. He completely made a 180 with his life. When we come to this letter, this man, this Paul, who was responsible for writing 13 books in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit chose him to be the recipient. He's been a follower of Christ now when he's writing this for 27 years. This is a guy who's had some experience. He will live three more years before he will finally be executed by Nero. And when he writes these words that we're about to read, he is in a jail in Rome, and he does not know if Nero is going to have him executed or not. He isn't sure if this is going to be perhaps his last writing. Now, I want you to pause for a minute because to to get the meaning of what we're about to read, how would I feel, how would you feel, If you were incarcerated for nothing more than telling people about Christ, and now you don't know if you're going to be executed or not, what kind of anxiety, what kind of stress, what, what would be the thoughts going through our minds? So that's the condition of the man that's going to share these words with us. So with that background, 
Let's look in chapter 4, beginning in um, verse... And actually, I'm going to start you in verse 4. Bear with me. He starts off, notice, the man is in jail. He doesn't know if he's going to be beheaded or not. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. And then he gets into the heart of our text. Do not be anxious, and that is the word for worry. Do not be anxious or do not worry about, what is the next word? Anything. Instead, so he's giving us an alternative to worry. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And if we do this, Paul, what will happen? Verse 7. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will do what? It will guard your what? Heart and minds in Christ Jesus or in Messiah Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, now he's going to teach us how to take care of our minds. He's going to teach us what to focus our attention on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, he's saying, fill your minds, meditate, think on these things, focus on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And he doesn't stop there. And what you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I believe Paul lays out in this context, first he exhibits a healthy mind. The man may be executed, but what is he concerned with? He's concerned with building up other followers of Christ to his very last breath. Earlier in the book of Philippians, he says, you know what? If I die, I'm just going to depart to be with Christ, which is way better. He really was confident of that. So the man is standing in what we would consider some of the most dire circumstances and exhibiting a peace, a clarity, an objectivity. He knows who he is. He knows why he's here. He knows where he's going. He knows what's important. He knows what's true about God and about life. And in spite of the way everyone else in the world is living and thinking, he is not living and thinking that way. His mind is healthy. Now, I want to show you one other example because obviously if if we want to see a picture of a healthy mind, the place to go is to Jesus. Jesus is the perfect model of a healthy mind. Paul's mind is healthy and it's probably useful for you and I because, you know, he's different in a sense than Jesus. but, But Jesus exhibits for us a healthy mind And healthy minds are best seen when they're under the worst kind of circumstances. So let me share a few verses with you. This is from John 13. Before I read these verses, let me share one other thing. John 13 through 17. When you're reading the Gospel of John, John 13 through 17, four entire chapters. They all take place in one evening. It is the last evening that Jesus will be alive on this earth. And he knows it. He has been prepared for it, and he's now attempting to prepare his disciples for his soon crucifixion, brutal treatment that he himself knows is coming. 
So that's the context of John 13. In other words, John 13 is Jesus in what you and I might call the worst night of his life. Bear with me. What Jesus knows is that he's going to be given a foul mock trial. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be ultimately lashed and nailed to a cross. He knows it. He knows it specifically. He knows that his disciples that he's poured his life into for three and a half years are going to all abandon him and run. Worst of all, he knows that one of the twelve is the one that's going to betray him. He knows it. He's known it all along. Keep that in mind, that this is the backdrop for what we read here. Let's go to the, the, the passage now. John 13, verse 1. Just before the Passover feast, by the way, we're going to celebrate communion here today, and we get communion from this, the Passover feast, that Jesus established the communion uh, at the Passover feast. We're just kind of doing a do-over when we do communion. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. Now, stop right there. Jesus was about 33 years old, and he knew that he was going to die, a brutal, horrific death. But listen to the way he was thinking. He knew that he was going to depart. The word for depart, it's a word for like a ship casting off on a cool voyage. He knew he was going to depart to go to be with the Father. Jesus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that beyond this world of sight and sound, there was another dimension just as real. It was an eternal dimension. It was very much superior to this dimension. He knew that his existence would not cease when his body was killed. This is critical. Every one of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it's meant to instill confidence in us that this life is not all there is. We don't have to live with some panic to get it all now and to be fearful that we're going to miss something of value. You can't miss anything of value if you are a follower of Christ. He was living with the eternal perspective governing his behavior his mind was healthy because he knew the truth and believed in the truth. One of the, the deepest things that you and I must combat to achieve a healthy mind is fear. We live in a very dangerous world since sin has been introduced. And it's not that there aren't some things that we should, should fear. I mean, let's face it, when, when a speeding car is coming at you, you should be afraid so that you can get out of the way. If you're standing too close to a fire, you should be afraid so that you don't get burned. But there's an undergirding fear that we tend to suffer with that produces this anxiety and worry that we are looking at in this scripture. And you just don't see that in Jesus. You didn't see it in Paul. A healthy mind can live. you got to get this. A healthy mind is capable by God's grace and help to live in the worst circumstances imaginable and still not be subjected to overwhelming fear and anxiety. That's what a healthy mind can exhibit. So Jesus knows where he's going. Look at verse 3. Go back to John 13. Because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal and began to wash his disciples' feet. This is phenomenal. 
Now, the verse is easy to jump over and not get what it's saying. It's saying Jesus knew that all power was his, that the Father had handed everything over to him, that at his name, every knee was going to bow, that he would have the, the last say on every angelic life, every human life, all the ones that would soon prosecute him and persecute him would one day stand before him for judgment. Jesus knew that the power of the universe was all his. And so what does he do? He gets up and he takes the humble role of a servant. And he does what none of the other disciples would do. He starts washing their feet. When you read Luke's version of this passage, in fact, they get into an argument that very night about which one of them is the greatest. They were not about to be the one to wash the feet, which was a, a typical kind of a thing to do for somebody that's coming in from dusty roads, but Jesus does it. Listen, when you and I know who we are, know our God-given value and worth, know what our destiny is, what we will become when God finishes his transformation work in us, we are able to humble ourselves and give ourselves and serve others without any fear of being you know, thought of as inferior or being taken advantage of or abused. It's because Jesus was confident of who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew the power and authority. He didn't have to prove his worth to anyone. And follower of Christ, you don't have to either. But until you and I believe that and internalize that, we'll still be playing the game. We'll still be trying to prove somehow our worth. And we will be hesitant to give and to serve. And to be, perhaps be misunderstood and taken advantage of. But once you're solidified in your worth and identity, you know who you are, you know why you're here, you know where you're going. It brings a kind of a confidence to give of ourselves and to be calm and to be clear minded in the worst of circumstances. This is what we see in Jesus. Now, it goes on to say finally in verse 15, he said, I've given you an example you should do as I have done. And what Jesus was saying is that essentially in the worst of circumstances, my followers, you need to remind yourself you belong to God. And no matter what happens to you, you will go to be with God. You are of eternal significance. You don't have to prove anything. You are eternally secure. And you are guaranteed eternal satisfaction, not in this world, but in the world that absolutely will come. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that it's Something to be counted on. A healthy mind, listen to me carefully. A healthy mind knows the truth about God and knows the truth about life and has adjusted their expectations according to that truth. We see that in Jesus, which is why he was not panicked. Listen, he was 33 years old. Most of us, I'm not trying to be offensive here because I know people die at all different ages. Children die, people die in young adulthood, old people die, death is the norm. But Jesus is 33, and most of us would say, wow, man, that was a life cut way too short, 33 years old. That's a terribly early time to die. Notice Jesus didn't seem to think so. He, he didn't seem to feel cheated at all. The fact of the matter is he never had any air conditioning in his house, you know. He never had a car to drive. He never had a, a cell phone. You get my drift? He lived as a third world peasant, but we don't see these, this hand-wringing regret. I've been given a lousy deal in life. No, 
His mind is clear. He understands this life is mostly for ministry. It is a developmental journey for you and I. We are meant to learn to retrust our creator and then to become the people he intends us to become and do the things he intended us to do so that we can develop the way he intended to be who he meant us to be and do what he meant us to do. Once we fixate on that, it calms us. Eternity is my home. I am a citizen of heaven, Jesus' realm. And it's just as sure as though I had been there 10,000 years. When we get that into our minds, our minds start getting healthy. We start getting clear. We start getting calm. We're not so driven by fear. We're not out to prove things all the time. We're not worried as much about things that once worried us. Some of us are consumed with fear and anxiety about being judged by others and found you know, wanting, being rejected by others. Uh, desperately wanting the approval of others. You get clear that God loves you. He's accepted you. He approves of you. It will free you from that other uh, desire to, to live for the approval of others. All this we see. All this we see in Jesus. All this we see in Paul uh, for a healthy mind. And if you want one other portraiture of a healthy mind, think of Adam and Eve before sin in the Garden of Eden. They did not know fear. They did not know anxiety. Every day was an exciting day. Every day was a fulfilling day. They loved hearing God teach them when he would come into the garden. Everything was secure and safe. Their, their minds were functioning in the order that God had originally created them. And that's kind of where I'd like to turn your attention now. This is a chart that I shared with you a week ago. And let's look at it once again. When we return, now this is critical, when we return to our creator in trust, this is why the scripture says that we are saved by faith through grace. It is when we return to our creator, Christ, in faith, in trust, that now we can start to heal. It is impossible to have a healthy mind until we are reconciled with our creator in trust. So this is what our minds look like once we've returned to God by putting faith in Christ. Now our spiritual nature uh, is leading and it's increasingly brought into alignment with God's truth. We come to Christ. We don't know all of God's will. So we're learning it, uh, you know, consistently. And then as we learn it, we do it. We are aligning with God's truth. But now God's truth, which is his light, it's received by us. We want his truth. We pursue his truth in his word. We want to do his will because we trust him. Our spiritual nature is governing over our minds. This is a critical thing to see. Our spiritual nature is what differentiates us from animal life. Animals don't have the ability to reason. They don't have a conscience. They don't have the capacity to worship or to sense a divine being and to want to orient their lives around the divine being's uh, will. We have this. Our spiritual nature is meant to rule over our will, over our thoughts, and over our feelings. Once we've returned to Christ in faith, our Creator... This gets restored. The order, the shalom, the harmony is restored. Now, this does not mean that we become instantly, entirely healthy. You know that. I know that. But it puts us in a, in a position where now we can start to develop and grow and become healthy. When we're not in this condition, our feelings sometimes govern our decisions, wild thoughts and imaginations, trends in society. We read that Romans verse where it says, don't follow the crowd. Don't be conformed to, uh, by the world standards. Well, now we've got God's truth, and we're reasoning with God's truth in our minds. And so we approach situations 
situations. For example, we say, what is God's will about this situation? And God, is it the right time? Is this the right way? How would I feel if this were done to me? God, would you, would you be pleased if I did this? This is how our reason starts working for us. And then our conscience, it's now aligned with God's truth. It's full of God's word. And it says, yes, that's right. Or no, that's, that's not right. Or maybe that's not the time. It gives us a sensing mechanism. And then our worship, we, we say, God, will, if I do this, what, will this honor you? Will this depict you accurately for people? Will this cause people to see you through my actions? And they'll see and feel and experience your goodness. This, this God-enlightened reasoning, this spiritual nature governs, and then it, it gives information to our will and says, do this, don't do that. It tells us what to think about. It governs our thoughts. Don't think about this. Think about that. We just read in Philippians 4.8 where Paul said, think on these things. We'll revisit that in a minute. So our spiritual nature tells us what to think about, what not to think about. It tells us what to allow in our imagination and what not to allow in our imagination. And then ultimately it governs our feelings. We said last week that sometimes we may feel like we want to give somebody a good piece of our mind. But maybe our spiritual nature says, wait a minute, you're too angry for this stop, pause, get a grip of yourself, and that's the way it's supposed to work. We are not meant to be led by our feelings. One of the most awful teachings in our society today is just do what you feel, just follow your feelings. Sometimes they say follow your heart. They mean the same thing. If you do that, I can guarantee you your life will be wrecked. Guarantee it. It will not come out well for you. We're not wired to follow our feelings. Our feelings are servants. Listen, you know, and I know, though, when you do the right thing, your feelings reward you. You know, when you're kind and generous to somebody, you feel good about yourself. When you're unkind and cruel or selfish to somebody, your feelings punish you. You feel a little guilty unless you've gone so far that your conscience is dead. But see, our feelings reward us after they've been led by our spiritual nature. By the way, another thing about our feelings, our feelings are the products of our thoughts. Okay? If I walk into a room, and I believe that everybody in the room, excuse me, loves, loves me, I'm going to feel kind of at peace. My feelings will be calm. If I walk into a room and believe that everybody hates me, I'm going to be scared and defensive. So it doesn't really matter whether it's true or not, but it does matter what I believe. My beliefs, my thoughts, what I focus my mind on produces my feelings. It's too much to go into today, but I want to at least throw it out to you. But another message, another time. So that gives us a picture of what a healthy mind looks like. Now, there's a phrase that I'd like to, to share with you uh, that, that I hope summarizes this and maybe sinks it deeply into your heart, and it's this. Certainty, and certainty is the, the uh, emphatic word there. You and I must have certainty about this. Okay, it can't, it can't be hope so, wish so. Certainty of a trustworthy Caring God is the foundation of a healthy mind. My mind, your mind, cannot, cannot get healthy, will not be healthy until you have, I have certainty that God is trustworthy all the time. That God is caring, that he is good. That's the foundation of a healthy mind. We're meant to have that shalom, that peace, that tranquility, that balance of order in the way our minds function. And it cannot occur until we have certainty of a trust, trustworthy, caring God. Now, if I've given you the impression that 
A healthy mind is a mind that doesn't have any tension, conflict, struggle at all. Um, I, I want to correct that. that. That's not true. Remember, Paul wrote from a prison cell wondering if he was going to be executed. Jesus behaved the way he did on the night that he was going to be betrayed, knowing he was going to be crucified. So, no, a healthy mind still must have in this world, you've got you to accept this, you and I must accept that in this world, our healthy minds will have struggle. We must be a bit combative if we want to have and maintain a healthy mind in this world. So let me share with you a little study that throws a, a little bit of light on this. It's from a, uh, a study done um, by the Danes. It's a Danish health survey. And they ask almost 10,000 people between the ages of 36 and 52, in your, in your everyday life, do you experience conflicts with any of the following people? Your partner, your children, other family members, friends, or neighbors? 11 years later, uh, 422 of the 10,000 of them were no longer living. Now, they said that's a typical number. What's compelling, though, the researchers noted, is that the people who answered always, in other words, you could answer, you know, again, let me give you the question, in your everyday life, do you experience, because you might want to, you know, play this one in your own mind, in your everyday life, do you experience conflicts with any of the following people? Your partner, your children, your family members, your friends, your neighbors. And you could answer always, often, seldom, or never. Well, what they found with the 422 were dead that they thought was compelling in the study is these were the people that either answered they always experience conflict with these, these people or often they were uh, dying at a ratio beyond those that did not list that way. But uh, unless we conclude that those that maybe wrote down never would be the healthiest of all, the study is interesting. It says, the researchers concluded stressful social relationships are associated with increased mortality risk among middle-aged men and women. But in case you think that all conflict is bad, people who said never, in other words, they never experienced any conflict with those, you know, circle of people um, in their social relationships, they had a slightly higher mortality rate than those who say, I seldom experience conflict in those areas. In other words, perhaps they conclude a little conflict is actually good for us. And it is because the spiritual senses, the spiritual nature that is restored to us when we reconnect with our Creator and trust, it only develops and matures through exercise. You know and I know that you could read manuals about diet and exercise and become an expert so that a person could ask you any question about diet and exercise and you could give them the right answer. But in fact, if you didn't yourself appropriate those diets and appropriate those exercise programs, it would benefit you none at all. You see, there, there, there's a doing component and the spiritual senses of ours to develop the way God wants them to in this age to prepare us for the age to come where he entrusts tremendous power to us is that they have to be stressed. They have to be tested. They have to be exercised. And so some stress is critical. Jesus, again, was in the worst night of his life. Paul was in an extremely bad place, and yet they had this peace. Let's go back to Jesus' words again as we ask the question, how can I have, how can I have a healthy mind? Jesus' words again, in that same night with his disciples, John 14, 27, he said, peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then in chapter 16, verse 33, he becomes very clear about the nature of this peace. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have, and what is the word? Peace. So it shows we can have peace, part of a healthy mind. But in the world you have what? Two words? Trouble and should any follower of Christ be surprised or shocked if we have trouble and suffering, according to Jesus? No. Then why are we? Well, why is it so frequently when we have trouble or suffering, we get all flustered and say, oh, God, I don't know why you're letting this happen to me. Why, why, why aren't you doing something? I think you've abandoned me, and I'm angry at you, God. And we, we say these silly things. Jesus plainly said, the peace that he's offering to us is a peace that coexists with a world that is going to bring us trouble and suffering. So we should adjust our expectations accordingly because if we don't, we won't have peace. We'll have panic when we can't have peace. So let's look at that verse again. He says, in the world you have trouble and suffering, but take courage, courage. I have conquered the world. Let's look one more time at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through, through 8 to see exactly how we can have a, um, a healthy mind because Paul literally gave us a formula for it. Look at what he says. The next time I'm anxious or worried or stressed, what does God, my creator, what does he tell me to do? Grab his annex? Well, <laughs> if you need to grab it, grab it. But then after you grab it, do what he says here. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, here's the big pivotal word. Instead, in every situation through, what is the word? Prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving. Tell your request to God. So it's a simple formula. If my mind is to stay healthy, when I have stirrings of anxiety and stress and fear and all those kinds of things, I am to immediately go to God, talk to Him, talk to Him in prayer, pour out my heart to Him. If I have some requests, lay those requests out for Him and remind myself of all the good things that I have in God, and that makes me thankful. I'm not thankful for the trouble or the suffering, but I'm thankful for God and His love and His goodness and His promises and His faithfulness to work with me. So here's the, the, the formula to maintain a healthy mind. As soon as the trigger of worry goes on in my mind or yours, we are to immediately turn to prayer and add thanksgiving into it. Let's go further. He says, now in verse 7, what we can be guaranteed of if we do this. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need our hearts and minds guarded in this age. There's lots of things that bombard us, that disturb our peace, that fill us with anxiety, that cause us to forget who we are, why we're here, how we should live where we're going, what's true about God, what's true about life, what's true about ourselves. We quickly forget these things. But if we at least take the disorienting occurrences and we turn to God in prayer, we get reoriented or recalibrated. Yeah, okay, I remember you're my father. I'm your child. I'm your son. I'm your servant. You're, 
you're never going to leave me or forsake me. This life is a developmental journey, and if I go through trouble, so be it, Lord. Perhaps there's something that, that I can only learn this way, or perhaps there's a lesson that someone else will learn through my life as I go through this. All, all these healthy thoughts go through our mind. Remember Jesus, the worst night of his life. He's calm. He's washing his disciples' feet. Paul's writing to us from a Roman jail, wondering if his head's going to be cut off. All he wants to do is build believers up right down to this day and age. So this is what a healthy mind looks like. And then he gives us one final piece of the formula. And this is really important. It's about what we should think about, which also tells us what we should not think about. Consider the things that are left off this list that we're going to read. And what is left off is anything that is evil, anything that is negative. It's left off. Paul is saying, don't think about these evil, negative things. Why? Because God designed our minds to live in a world of righteousness and holiness. This is like foreign matter getting into our minds, and it jolts them, and it disorients them, and it kind of contaminates our minds, and it, it makes us low in spirit and negative. It steals the health when we think about things that are not on this list. Let's look at the list one more time. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So here's the key. Paul says you want to keep your mind healthy. You must start to let your spiritual nature determine what you're going to think about. And he says beware. Don't contaminate your mind by fixating, meditating, thinking upon anything that's not within the context of this list. This is, a, this is a great, simple formula given to us by our Creator for having the shalom, the peace, the wholeness, the order of God in these minds of ours, healthy minds. We can all have a healthy mind. It starts with returning to our Creator and trust, and then it takes the steps of cooperating with His process of bringing increasing measures of healing to these troubled minds of ours. I'm going to close with an illustration from uh, uh, a university. It's called Rush University. It's a medical center in Chicago. And there's a lady named Patricia Murphy. And um, she, she has a really interesting um, study that she did. And let me just share it with you. She said she found that belief, belief in a concerned God. Now, this is a medical person. She found that belief when people believe in a concerned God, uh, they can improve in their responses to medical treatment. In patients, patients diagnosed with clinical depression, the operative word here is caring, a caring God. The researchers said, the study found that those with strong beliefs in a personal concerned God were more likely to experience improvement. It was tied specifically to a belief that a supreme being cared, said study director Patricia Murphy. And that kind of ties us with that phrase that I hope will seal its way into your hearts and minds. If I could get it one more time. It's that certainty factor, folks. It is certainty of a trustworthy, caring God that is the foundation of a healthy mind. Now, in closing, I'd like to get you thinking about a few things. We're going to do communion, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that thing we just read about where Jesus washed the feet. Uh, after he did that, he 
started this thing that we do communion and you know what communion is all about it's a physical reminder to us that the almighty god the eternal almighty omniscient god is governed by tender understandable sacrificial love and concern that his almightiness is for us it's nothing we have to fear and communion reminds us because the almighty one is the one that went to the cross and said I won't hurt you. Put the nails in my hands if that's what it takes to prove that I love you. Nail me to the cross. Mock me. Spit at me. You're safe. And every time we do communion, the scripture says, we're going to read it in a bit, it's a physical reminder that the Almighty is the eternally, sacrificially caring, loving God. And that will bring health and wholeness to our hearts. There's a couple suggestions I'd like to share with you, things you might want to do. First of all, If worry is a problem for you, and it's not uncommon, what if you were to just ask God to help you start to recognize every time from now on that you start to worry, and you will put this practice, you'll immediately turn to God in prayer, and you'll lay out petitions to Him, and then you'll thank Him for the good that's going on in your life. What if you say, from this day forward, that's the way I'm going to handle all anxiety? Another suggestion, what if you were to compose what I call a think and a thank list? In other words, you get along with God and you write down all the good things that you can think of. Remember we read that list about think on these things? Just write down all the things that are excellent and true and praiseworthy. Get a good list. And then a thank list said that we were to be thankful. Just write it out extensively, all the things you're thankful for. And the next time you find your spirit sinking, or maybe you just do it for 30 days to get your mind in a healthy state, you go over that list every day for 30 days. There's no doubt in my mind, it'll, it'll bring healing. It'll, it'll start some new neural pathways. It'll transform. And then, uh, you know, perhaps some of you might at least do this. You'll take Philippians 4, 6 through 8, and you'll print it out on a card. And maybe just take it with you and two, three times a day, you'll look at that card and you'll remind yourself of God's formula uh, for a healthy mind. If you're here this morning and you've never returned to your creator in trust, that's, that's the first and the critical step of having a healthy mind. We were made by Christ, the scripture says, and for Christ. And apart from him, our lives never cohere. He loves you, he wants you, he created you, and he offers his mercy and eternal uh, loving kindness to you today. If you've never made the decision to put your trust in Christ and be his follower, you can do that this millisecond. There's no formula that needs to occur. You can do it right now, and God will start to bring healing to your troubled mind. And to the degree that you then follow him, uh, that healing will continue to increase. I'm going to pray, then uh, we're going to instruct you about how we do communion here and uh, then I'll come back and share that with you father you know us and you know that some of us this is this is our Achilles heel this is the thing that we are eaten alive with this anxiety this worry some of us have been badly damaged from abusive backgrounds as children and, and we've got two strikes against us but we know that your your healing power is sufficient so I pray particularly for those people that uh that maybe feel there's no hope to escape from anxiety. Bear witness to them today. I, I know what you're able to do and what you will do. Help us to take appropriate steps that your healing power can start to flow in our lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.